Welcome back to another episode of the Decipher Podcast. That's right. We have finally come up with a name. We've done it. That's the name. (laughs) It didn't seem possible. It didn't seem possible. You thought it was you thought it was never going to happen. And frankly, so did we for a minute there. But exactly. (laughs) We are the Decipher Podcast and we are your hosts, Kayla Moorhead and Cameron Luck. What's up, everybody? Yeah, I'm pretty excited that we have a name. Do you want to tell them the backstory? Kaylin came up with the name. I thought it was pretty cool. So go yeah, with it. Yeah, it, it was one of those things where I, I just like to try and come up with like names for stuff. And so just figuring out, you know, random ideas, thinking about like, what is it that we're about? And we are clearly a design podcast. Um, and in the same sense, I think we also come at it from a different perspective, I think, as to young black people in a tech space you know we are we've definitely been heavily influenced by like hip-hop culture and just this idea of like sort of communal design and uh, working together um and that kind of brought to mind the idea of like a cypher um so sort of like a hip-hop freestyle uh cypher or really just you know those coming together sort of moments when you're talking with other people and trying to figure things out. And I think that that is such a huge part of the design process. Um, And so it felt right to sort of, you know, make design cipher into decipher because we're also trying to, you know, decode a lot of stuff here as far as what it takes to get into the industry. You know, I try to preach to him all these things in there. (laughs) (laughs) This is why Kalen was actually supposed to go into marketing, but no. No, I missed a huge career in advertising. The whole opportunity is gone. Oh, man. I would have been that dude. The whole background of that is really cool, too, because like we haven't done it yet. But some of the things we want to do in the future is we want to have people on the the show with us. We want to have some of you guys. We want to have your input as well. And we really want this to be about a community and really kicking ideas off of one another, bouncing those things and really like having like what you're saying, a cipher where we're kind of going back and forth and kind of circling around different ideas and, and coming up with things that... Um, hopefully are helping you guys and are building up the community in ways that are are new and, and interesting. Um, even if they're not new, I hope they're, we at least show a different lens on it and it's a little bit more down to earth and it is kind of like grassrooty. That's the other thing about like the cipher is like we're kind of trying to provide a grassroots lens and not this like high um, education style lens, you know, as well. All so I think that's, that's all yeah, exactly. So trying to keep it real with y'all and sometimes keeping it real goes wrong. If you know anything about the Chappelle show, so. yo, uh, the Chappelle <laughs> show definitely kept, kept it real and went wrong in his own way. <laughs> went wrong so. for real. Yeah. Shout out to Dave. All right. Free Dave. <laughs> free Dave. I saw free him Chappelle actually show. post something earlier, like, Hey, please stop watching the Chappelle show until they pay me. I saw yeah. an article about that this morning and I was like, yeah, Trying to get my wife to watch the Chappelle show recently. And I'm like, I don't know if you should watch it. Watch it on YouTube. (laughs) It's like, this is is why I got to bust out my my DVD collection, man. I got the whole series on box set. So you do. That's true. Hopefully you get some money from that. (laughs) Yeah, I guess guess the one other thing we'll say is we're trying to make this a higher quality podcast. So each week we've invested in some new tech this week. So Mm -hmm. we're trying to make Mm -hmm. this higher quality. Um, We'll probably start adding in new things as we go as well in the future. Keeping it actual, keeping it iterating <laughs> towards, iterate towards the goal. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Iterate on this production quality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we're going to keep uh, trying to improve it. And But the big thing really for us is like consistency, making sure we're up yeah. here um, yeah. frequently providing you good quality information. Um, one other thing that we're looking into, I'm not going to promise this yet, but we'll probably have an audio version that we'll put out on Spotify soon. Um, mm-hmm. We've been going back and forth on that. And hopefully if you're not able to watch this um 
on YouTube, you can listen to it on Spotify before you start your work, during your work, on your way to work, if we ever get back to that world, um, any of those kind of things. So this is all the plugging that we're going to do most likely, but, but this, is, right. this, is a, right. this is just us letting you know what we're, we're thinking of doing. Trying to keep it at a minimal, but you know, it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> so. right, exactly. And who knows, like this may, there may be new things in the future as well. We're talking about doing some other audio content, um, things sure, like that. We do sure. have hip hop backgrounds. I, I make beats, things like that. We, we mm. did rap comedy skits, whatever, like we might come with different angles, um, in the future as we continue to develop out. Um, uh, but yeah, we'll see how that's that, a, that's that a nice goes. way to call it different, different angles, Di- different angles. Yeah, exactly. We both like, missed just, the marketing career clearly. Oh man. Oh man. Just wait till we get these next parodies out though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we can go into an entire Cam and Kalen history on a separate discussion because <laughs> there's a whole bunch of, of foolery that you it's, guys are missing the out The foolishness on. is uh, extensive and goes extensive. back like the better part of a decade. So yeah, it's, it's close to 10 years now. So yeah, cool. Uh, All right. I think that's enough of from us for right now, but let's, let's see about uh, what topic are we getting into today, Kaylin? Well, you know, uh, today you're taking a look at how to frame a design problem. So that's always, you know, I I think something that's going to continually be a thing that pops up for everybody who's in the design space. Um, Young, old, new, not, you know, or if you got some stank on you. um, (laughs) (laughs) Stank on you, like stank on you. Um, And so... ATLians as well. It's it's what I do. It's what I do. Uh, But yeah, you know, I think framing your problem is always going to be a big part of how someone navigates any sort of design challenge and part of the framing of the problem um, is really important in terms of how you figure out the solution, right? Because the idea is that anything that you are designing, it is a proposed answer to a problem. It is a um, proposed fix to something, something that you're trying to remedy. Um, and there might be multiple parts of it that you're trying to uh, address. And some designs allow you to do, uh, you know, hit some of those targets more so than the others. And it's a balancing act for sure. Um, but we can get into a little bit more on the specifics on that. And yep. so uh, I'll throw it over to you, Cameron, I guess. Can you tell us a little bit more about sort of uh, what you see in when you're trying to frame those problems? Yeah, I think it's a couple of different um, ways to look at it from from my perspective, because there's a difference to me when I'm framing and really reframing problems for my colleagues versus like presenting that in my own portfolio. Right. Because I think Mm -hmm. part of this is about like, how do you present yourself for hiring and stuff like that? And that's one thing. And then framing for my direct peers is another thing. Sometimes a lot of the time it's the same problems, but I think a large amount of the time when it comes down to like framing a problem, Mm -hmm. it's really about taking something that was big and ambiguous. Like everyone's always like, let's redesign the website. And you're like, okay, but what does that really mean? Right. And talk, talking about deciphering, right? Like you have to actually take that larger nebulous goal and put it some real concreteness to it. And that's really what we mean by framing, right? So like Mm -hmm. a large amount of discovery, at least for me and and my opinion in the design process is taking those kind of pipe dreams and rationalizing them. Because I think uh, even, I think a lot of the projects I've worked on actually the past five years have been 
some massive ambitious thing like, hey, we're going to redesign the entire application. We're going to redesign. And then like you hear across your team, like, wait for the redesign. It's going to solve this problem. Wait for the, and like every single problem, everyone's like, wait for the redesign, wait for the redesign. And then you're like, the redesign is not going to solve everything. It's not a silver bullet, right? And so like when you have to, part of it is like reality setting, right? Yeah, part of it is reality checking. Like, hey, these are the problems we can actually solve. And then putting like a clear name to the problem. Cause like not, nobody really knows what the problems are. They're just saying, Hey, you know, we have a problem with checkout. Oh, we'll solve it in the redesign. Yeah. What, what is the problem with checkout? So there's a, there's a whole, and kind of what you alluded to a second ago when you said like, Oh, it's kind of a proposal. It's you have to come with like some hypotheses first to establish a direction to test before you can even get to that proposal. Right. And I think there's a huge opportunity for designers to be like way upstream in that discovery process and the definition process yes, yes. that they kind of miss sometimes. Cause it's like, Oh, I'm going to wait for the PM to write the requirements. Don't do that because then you miss all this stuff up front. Right. Right. And I think to that point, you know, so that was thinking about is like, it's, I think that's kind of the problem when you take the, the requirements or the problem for what it is and just yeah, run it really um, yeah. as, <laughs> as it's given to you. Right. Right. And so they're, they're, totally times where that's fine and that's what you do to you know get by and get something out and keep pushing but particularly on the like bigger endeavors you have to start to think about like is that are we solving for the right thing here right um are we focused on something that actually isn't the problem um, right and you know sometimes it's like we just need this small fix on this part of the site and it's like well let's take a step back like who is this for who's using this are people right, right. even complaining about is this, this a problem something? yeah like yeah is this something that we just want to build out for some reason and right. change up to get people to funnel into a different thing or what have right, you. Right. Um, and it's, I, I think, yeah, you have to take that chance to sort of step back and say, is this actually the problem? Do we need to be focused on, you know, this other area or is this something that can be solved um, sort of in a future rollout, at a, like right. smaller level and, you know, a lot of different things like that. But I, I yeah. think there's something to be considered. Like the strategy of how you're going to solve a complex or multiple problems is what you're getting to. I think one of yeah. the things too that kind of gets lost in translation, especially when you're working with product partners or software engineers or whoever that like wants to come up with new ideas is so many times people are trying to like shoehorn their opinion or their construct into a mm. problem and they're trying to make a problem. Mm. And I think like, so we both work at Amazon currently and like, one of the positives, to, uh, they have a process there called like working backwards. And one of the positives there is they actually have the very first sentence of that process is what is the problem or opportunity, right? And so whenever you're coming up with something like big new brain. and you want to invent yeah, big brain stuff here, like you want this big brain, big IQ plays here, 500 IQ. But if you want to yeah. come up with something new, sometimes there's not a problem. Sometimes it's a, or it's something that's like, it is a problem, but it's tangential and it's hard to like quantify. So mm-hmm. being able to pose things as opportunities helps you frame things as well, because you can say, Hey, it's not currently a problem for our current users. But like, if you're only looking for problems for your current users, you never really can make net new things or pivot to net new products. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you got to have some leeway also to like, Hey, what is the opportunity space? And is there additional new opportunities here? And you can use like problems or past data to help build an inference, like so much of design. And this is something I want to talk about in more depth later, but like data is not the end all be all with design. Like it it can help you form a picture, but Mm -hmm. you, the, the, gap between the data 
and where your product needs to go is the design, right? You have to make some inferences off the data to do the art side of design and have the creativity and create that thing. And not everything is going to be very much like data driven a hundred percent, right? There's right. You're going to have like times where you're going to have to come up with what is the amount of data that's okay. Are we 60% confidence? Okay. 80% confidence. Right. And so many times you get stuck in trying to be a hundred percent right about a problem, which is just impossible. Um, So that's another key piece to this. So when it comes to framing the problem, I'm trying to loop this back to your original question, but when it comes to framing the problem, a large amount of that too is framing the questions. Like what are the appropriate research questions or the appropriate metrics and goals? Um, And that's normally how I start this is like, hey, I come in and I I do a kickoff meeting with my stakeholders and I go, what are your long-term goals? What are you trying to achieve here? And like really quickly, you could start breaking down like, oh, that's not actually the problems or all these problems you guys talked about. There's really three key ones. Let's solve those first, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. that's how you start reframing. And then you take those two or three things. You And I will, I use the Google design sprint process a lot and just flip it over and say, hey, what are the ways that we're going to fail to identify the risks? And then you can have your research questions right after, right out of that. Mm. You can take those goals identify what will make those not be achievable and then question those and drive your early uh, research off of that. And that to me is when you actually frame the problem. So I spoke about reframing a second ago, right? So you have an originally framed problem that's normally coming from your stakeholders or your business partners, like let's redesign the site. And then you go in and you do a kickoff meeting like this. You run some basic research, maybe do some interviews, maybe some contextual things, whatever, maybe even just look at existing data, right? And you come out of the other side and you go, Hey, the actual problem is this. And that is where we're really saying like that reframe right there, where you took an original challenge and you reframed it. That is really what we're talking about. That's the meat of this where you're like, Hey, I know you told me we need to redesign the whole site, but Hey, I looked into the data. I uh, looked at your goals. And really what we're looking at right now is users are having a hard time processing search, you know, like, and that's causing all these other problems. Right. So it's a lot of deep diving and understanding of, of the data, but you're actually making inferences using the data that's there to come up with like the actual problem set, then you can start so, uh, solving. Right. So yes. that's, that's my particular take on framing. We can talk about yeah. the, the portfolio version in a second, but do you have anything else that you're thinking there? Well, no, I, you know, I think it's, it does come back to sort of that initial ask of like, when they come at you saying we want to change this, we want to make it like this. It's like, well, what makes you think that this is the right answer? Yeah, the, wh- the why? Like, yeah, exactly. Like why? It's yeah. it's a lot of whys, and there I, I've had more times than I care to admit where it's usually just like, <laughs> well, leadership wants this, or so and so thinks right. this is a good idea, or this, or you know, we want to push into this area or something like that. And some of those are more legitimate than others. I, you know, right. I understand that there's always going to be senior leadership wants a thing there's always going to be some future initiative that we're trying to like you know build up into but uh, it's like is that the right lens to be looking at this problem Um, yeah that's true and then you have limited time right so even if that thing is accurate is that the biggest piece to move right yeah and so i'm you know i'm very big on the idea of like I don't like to make design decisions because someone else wants to wants them to be like that. Like that is right, just, right. that that is something that opposes just kind of who I how I operate right. as a designer. And I, I the one thing you know speaking to leadership principles, I'm a I like customer obsession as like one of their 
top, actually, I think the top <laughs> really uh, right. principle is supposed to be that you do things for the customer and the best, the best interest of the customer, the best interest of the user. And so if you are creating this thing that's meant to just essentially generate more money uh, right. without a thought for like, how does this actually, how, but how is this a benefit to somebody? Right, what about right. this experience is going to make shopping on here more pleasant that is going to make it easier to watch the content I want is going to reduce some hassle in my life that I deal right. with. If you don't have that sort of um, guiding light, that North star um, behind whatever it is that you're proposing, it is in my opinion, ultimately never, going to realize its truest potential you're creating value right yeah i i think that's kind of that's always the thing i'd say is like does this do anything for anybody and right. to the same point where it's like craigslist for years never redesigned their site because they never needed to it did exactly right. what it was supposed to do everyone every redesign that came out for it was all like here's maps here's all this motion here's right. all this kind of crazy <laughs> stuff and you're like we just need hyperlinks and pictures like that's right. it you're overcomplicating so, it at a certain level, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's just kind of the thing to keep in mind. Now, as you're saying, that is definitely more towards um, work situations and actual design challenges uh, coming up that way. But when you are presenting it in sort of a portfolio and a more storytelling presentation, then you have to be a little bit more considerate in terms of like how you're telling the story. Right, um, right. And, you know, I think for myself, just quickly i you know i always focus on this idea of like just saying what happened more so mm -hmm. than like um like what i did on something and like how i interpreted this thing right, and like right. what it was and i think that's always the thing to start with is what was the entire like situation around here right. and like what was it in this project that i ended up working on and i'm presenting to you now that really needed to be fixed um, right. and how was, you know, and then tackling those things. Yeah. I think something I wanted to touch on something really quick, um, that was kind of hidden in what yeah. you just said, because, um, a lot of the time you kind of mentioned like, Hey, a lot of the time we maybe don't know the problem or somebody's trying to drive up a, a specific solution forward. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you just said, Hey, is this actually adding value for users? Right. Yeah. And, I think one of the problems that really starts coming up in these types of settings, right? Where you're mm -hmm. in the early discovery phase or design is you start seeing that everyone has a different assumption and picture of who the user is. And you start learning really quickly that nobody knows who the user is. So there's normally a, a large um, opportunity to even do early research around defining who your, user, your users are. You could do user interviews to make demographics or personas or whatever, right? But like, you don't have to do that. You really just need a picture of like, what are your, your core use cases or user needs? And right. a large amount of the time, like, people want to believe that they are the user of their application. And even if you are, right, let's say you work on, um, work on a, a website, right? If you're a user of that website, you're not the primary user because the primary user doesn't have the intricate knowledge that you do. They probably don't have the same technical background as you. They probably don't have all of these things, right? So you could mm -hmm. potentially be using the site, but you are not the user, right? So like you have right. to separate those out. Yes. And you need to identify who that 80% person is and what their 80% needs are. 
Mm-hmm. And that is what you need to optimize for. And that in itself could be a whole portion of your portfolio of saying like, hey, we started with this problem and we didn't know who the user was. And that was mm-hmm. clear to me because these opinions were coming out or these types of solutions were coming out, but that didn't line up with the data, right? So like right. you can start right. making those uh, types of pitches. Getting back on track though, um, the other side to kind of framing problems I'll talk to you specifically about like how I would advise putting together a portfolio when it comes to like framing a problem. Um, okay. What I specifically have advised students that I've taught in portfolio courses, and this is how my portfolio is set up. So you can look at it if you want. Um, Proof's on the pudding, baby. But the proof is there, but like I have a challenge and I have the challenge separate from the problem. And you would be like, why? They seem like the same thing, right? And so what I normally do is I try to make it very clear that the challenge is what the business told me. Hey, the business and my stakeholders gave me this challenge. That kicked off research. I went and did this research, blah, blah. Like I try to put my initial research there around probably user interviews, some desk research, maybe even some concept testing or some, mm-hmm. some high level um, thing like, like that. And then I say, hey, based on that, and I have this kind of deliverable, and you would do this at your normal job. Like if you're a UX designer or you're going into UX, you normally have some sort of um, early research and you have some sort of sit down where you say, hey, this is what I learned so far. Um, I have some early mock-ups or I have a direction. And during that milestone there, you're normally reframing the problem. You're saying, hey, I found out all these things and now this is what I think we should build. That is then taken in your portfolio. I reframe that as the problem. I say, hey, here's the problem now that we're going to solve. Because you're not solving the original challenge. You're solving what you reframed. So like the original challenge might have been, hey, you want to redesign the site. And then you say, oh, I took that in and I, I tested some of these hypotheses. And I learned that we didn't need to redesign the site. We needed a new way for traffic to flow through this widget. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'll give you a specific example. So I'm not just giving you a bunch of vague things. I was recently working <laughs> on a website where, where we were... Um, I was working on a dev tool suite, right? Um, Mm -hmm. There was, I joined the team and they had a bunch of opinions on this place where people should go to kind of manage the the work assigned to them. They were like, hey, developers normally have this type of work assigned. I'll I'll use some vague terms here so I don't reveal exactly what it is. But they they have this this type of work assigned to them and we need an area where they can see all the work that's assigned to them. So that's the assumption I started with. And I I gave into the assumption just to see if the the, um, hypotheses were correct. What I learned in a, one round of user interviews was um, customers used multiple tools externally to track their work and they had different types of work. So it's not, they weren't just be, oh, because they're developers, they only do developer tasks. They had like, mm-hmm. oh, I need to write wikis and I need to have meetings. And they would use things like a notepad or Evernote to keep track of those things. So I, I identified like, hey, we can have a to-do list style thing integrated into this next to the developer tasks. And it's a completely new idea. Um, and so when I went to pitch the, the problem set, I was like, hey, the actual problem was not that they can't manage their developer tasks, that they can't manage all the other ones. And so this right. is my solution to that, right? So that's the reframe. So if I was going to go put this as a portfolio, I would say, hey, we have this concept up front that we wanted to unify all the developer tasks into a single place. Tested that hypothesis using these methods. This is what came out of it. What I learned was people didn't struggle with that. They struggled with managing all their day-to-day tasks that are not development tasks. Or the other thing I learned was like, they have a specific development task they want to break down, but they don't want to share that with everyone. And then they go do that on a notepad or something. So this proposal was like, give them a place to do their uh, secondary tasks as well as those task breakdowns. 
inside yeah. of our application alongside their development tasks, right? So like right. people normally ask, like, how do you come up with these ideas or how do you get to these new new constructs? It's because of problem reframing. Like this is 100% why. That's it. So this is a crucial step in your design process. Uh, so, yeah. you know, I think I think for me, in terms of like a, a slightly more concrete example, I had a um, hackathon project that I worked on um, at my time at Microsoft and mm-hmm. in like trying to come up with the architecture of the site. Basically, it was a mentorship site. And so you okay. just have a side for people who wanted to sign up and receive, you know, get a mentor in some literally like anything. Um, and it was other people at the company and the other side being for people who wanted to offer mentorship and whatever right. expertise that they had. Now, uh, in the course of trying to like think of the actual architecture of the site, the developers who were working on it uh, had basically kind of gotten to this crossroads where they're like, we need to create separate accounts for someone who wants to be a mentor versus someone who wants to like be a mentee. And I remember thinking like, that doesn't sound like a great experience. You shouldn't need two right, separate right. accounts on the same site. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, and they're what like, if you well, want to be no both, right? Exactly. And that yeah. was, it was the exact thing I proposed. It's like, right. there are going to be people who want to, because I know there are things that I want to learn, but things that yeah. I can teach other people. It's like that, and, uh, Torcidos or Vel- Velveeta commercial. Why not both? Right? Like, literally, <laughs> por que right. no los dos in this piece. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it, it's, when you take that, it, it, and so I said to him, I was like, instead of trying to make this something where you have to have two separate accounts, what if just we look at the architecture in terms of how we're storing this um, and it's all just a regular database set, right? Let's add another variable just in a tag. There. Yeah, exactly. Like it's literally a tag and it's like, can we just make a null sp- uh, a null attribute for like whether right. they're a mentor and a mentee and right. doing one or the other, you know, will activate it and then you can add you can attribute things to that so you can still right. have the same account but you just know whether you know which one it was and they're like oh yeah that's actually <laughs> that's possible that yeah, would actually exactly. work see that is something we can yeah, do yeah so yeah I, and i mean i say that to say just like in the same sense that it's sometimes it's creating the new thing that solves a different problem you didn't realize was a problem and mm-hmm. other times it's like we're we're coming up with a solution that isn't even the best way of trying to utilize what we already right. have available to us yeah, exactly. Uh, so there's always different ways you can look at it. That makes a lot of sense. And like that, I like that you shared that because when I'm thinking about problem reframing, I was thinking about like these higher level constructs about the design, but you're literally yeah, saying like, yeah. Hey, we had this, we had this secondary really technical problem that the developers yeah. were just overlooking and it was creating a user experience impact. Right. So a mm-hmm. lot of the time people don't understand the relationship between tech and UX. And it's like that decision yes. could have made a very radical split in your website and you couldn't even Mm -hmm. have done certain things in the future. So a lot of the time you'll join a team or you'll be working on like some legacy code base and they'll be like, Oh, there's this, like an idea like that flies because no one said anything. And then 10 years later, you can't do anything. And you're like, Oh, why can't we make a, somebody a mentor and a mentee? Well, we made, Kalen made this decision a decade ago where they had two different logins. And that's, that's how this stuff happens. And I like that you're kind of explaining the importance of like having a little bit of technical know-how or at least being Mm -hmm. able to speak the terms as well, because these everything you're talking about would have been like somebody else's redesign in the future yeah. where it's like, Oh, now yeah. they would be trying to uncover that decision and be like, Hey, how right. do we fix this? Right. Right. So, 
That's cool. It, it, yeah, I, I think that's always the thing to keep in mind. Uh, something I always really want to advocate for a designer is that you don't necessarily have to be a developer. You don't have to be a programmer. You know, you don't have to be in the weeds in an IDE, right. just like figuring stuff out, you know, uh, whatever, whatever. It, but you have to have an understanding of the space that you're stepping into. Right. Um, and so it's the same way where if you're an interior designer, you need to have some basic understanding of architecture. Houses. and like support. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, it's like, what's a load bearer? wall like that's right. a really important thing you got to right. understand you can't mount stuff on a certain wall right exactly right and it's sense. like we got water lines through there so right. It, right. it just makes sense to understand how things work before you get in and just start saying well let's just tear all the you know right. tear everything right. to the studs yeah. yeah and you'll be a lot more liked by your teammates by doing that too they'll see your empathy yes. and things like that so that that's awesome because I think the big thing too is like, we're not trying to say you have to be the most technical person in the world. And like, there's different teams that have different requirements. Like if I'm going to go work on a shopping site or like you work in media, Mm -hmm. that's different Mm -hmm. than like me working on cloud developer tools. Like I have a much different technical aspect in my role than other people Mm -hmm. have right now. Right. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but we'll talk about that in a later date. I think, um, is there anything else that like maybe final thoughts on like framing problems? I think we've wrap that one up pretty well um i'd like to think we did uh (laughs) i i just you have to reiterate i do think it's um part of it is reframing the the reframing of the problem is reframing the thing that is even brought to you and why it is brought to you um it is asking a couple of key uh, key questions and it's like they're not meant to be uh, derogatory or tear anything down, but it's like, I'm just trying to get a better understanding right. of why right. this is a problem and why this is the thing we need to fix and why we should do it this way that you're proposing. Um, but also just understanding that there are, there's more than one way to skin a cat, you know? Right. Exactly. Very, very I think the old I, metaphor, but <laughs> I think the big thing you're getting at is like really designers do wear a lot of hats. And when you first start any project, when something hits you and they're like, Mm-hmm. Oh, we want to do this. You have to put on that like Sherlock Holmes hat. You've got to start investigating. You're like, first, really? you got to say like, why, why this? Like, is this the problem? Is this up? Is this right? And then is this the right? Is this for this group of people? Right. And then you say, if there's a, if there's a solution attached to it, which a lot of the time there is, you go, why this way that's next. Mm-hmm. Right. Then you go, is, are you sure this is the right solution? And what, kind of the tactic I was talking to a minute ago is if you, once you get like in a rhythm of, being able to conduct the research or do prototyping like you can you can really appease stakeholders by just testing their assumptions up front and even if you're not like rapid prototyper or things like that you can mm-hmm. ask them like hey what are you want to draw out what their hypotheses are hey why do you think this is going to work what is what is the keys to this and you can frame research questions just to do interviews to, mm-hmm. to hit those hypotheses and see if those are even the things people care about up front. Like I was the, the uh, situation I explained a minute ago, kind of the story I was telling was I learned all of that in a very basic user interview setting in one day. Like I had six people come through and I, I, we had all these assumptions that our team had talked about for like months before I even joined the team and they were in this giant doc. And I went and asked mm-hmm. a few questions to an actual use user base <laughs> in a day to eight users. And I was like, Oh, this isn't the problem at all. Right. But like, so you have to think that too. Like, I'm not saying you can't trust your teammates, but like a lot of the time people just haven't done that additional research and that is your job. Um, so yes. you have to, even if another designer was on it before you like mm-hmm. see what their research says and see if there's any gaps and then go and do additional research. I would be hundred percent open with you. If you came to my project and say, Hey, I only researched this sliver of it. I didn't go into this side of it yet. You can research all of that. I have no idea what that is, right? There's always more yeah. to uncover and it shouldn't be like an ego thing. So I think when it comes to refresh, like 
a part of what we talked about was like, how do you frame a problem and then how do you like solve a problem? And this mm-hmm. is the, the process of doing it, but like in the, in the kind of the practice that we're talking about, about like, yeah. And the practice of like framing a problem, it's really about like taking what you're given and creating what is a workable problem because you don't have a workable problem. A lot of the time you have like either something that's too big or too small and it's not really framed in a way that can even be designed. It's really more like, Hey, this is a solution or this is a problem that it's so ambiguous that it's, it's not something that can be started on. So you want, and so the big keys to this, and I'll just recap what we've been saying this whole time is like, get some data, um, take, take your stakeholders, uh, request, get some data around it. And then the key is get the goals, right? What are the goals? And then what are the metrics of success? If you know what makes it measurable, now you can attach the measurements to your product uh, or to your problem. I mean, and that is what makes it easy to verify a hypothesis or not is like, Oh, this isn't going to get us to our goal. So when, right. it, when you're in a room with stakeholders doing these kickoff meetings around like, Hey, what is the problem? Focus solely on the goals. Don't try to sit here and argue about the problem set or the solutions. If you all can agree on the goals, it's really easy to start validating or invalidating hypotheses off of those. Right. So like it's really people get too, yeah, people get too caught up in like, Oh, wordsmithing the problem or like, Oh, you came with a solution. I don't want to use that solution. It's not about that. Mm -hmm. Figure out your goals because your problems are really, you're going to have multiple problems throughout the process. Your problems are just like stepping, like a little staircase is every problem is a little staircase towards your goal. You know what I'm saying? So like, think of it that way, think of it that way and you'll be hundred percent successful. That's what I like. That's what I like to hear. (laughs) Cool. That's my, uh, that's my analogy for the day. Yeah. (laughs) Or my parable. Story time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We're done for that. But cool. I think that, that was a pretty good topic. I think it's, that's really interesting because like, it's so similar and different how you have to do it in the workspace versus like on your portfolio. And we can go into more depth. Like maybe we'll do a whole portfolio series where we talk about like how specifically to do these things and we can show you some of this. But um, if you have any questions about these things, feel free, leave them in the comments. We'll respond to you. Get on mm-hmm. our uh, Twitter fingers and you know start responding to you right here. Do like Drake, no, yeah, like exactly. Meek Mill, <laughs> More Meek Mill for sure, for sure. He still hasn't still, put out anything. Still, 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 never forgetting that one. I'm sorry, but just mm-hmm. like, oh man. When they were saying yeah. free Meek, I didn't know if they talk. We're talking about from prison or from Drake's like under Drake's finger. So I was like, yo, yo, he's still not I free. Like, that man got held down like on on all of the internet for a second. I freaking I love Beak Bill. That's the funny thing. I love his flow. I love the the hype, and I'm just like, that's a L. That's I mean, a major that's, L. You, you just gotta see that see see that L when it's just up in your face. That that's like, a permanent L. Ugh, that was a, that was a burn. <laughs> that was a burn. Uh, yeah. So yeah, if you guys have any topics that you uh, in particular want us to cover, if you have any questions that you know you just dying to get an answer relating to design, design thinking, anything mm-hmm. like that, please leave it on our comments. Send it to Let us, us nope. and uh, we will do our best to include those as we go forward. Yeah. And I guess the only other thing uh, I would add there is like, uh, hopefully by the time this is out, we have some social media up here and probably see mm-hmm. it on the screen. Tweet us, bam, bam. write us a message, whatever. Like follow, uh, subscribe, hit that bell, <laughs> <laughs> click everything, <laughs> click all the buttons. Yeah, exactly. up. 
I get all these engagements up. But no, if you reach out to us on any platform, um, we'll be quick to respond. So feel free to let us know Absolutely. and would love to talk about anything or even have you on as a guest. So Absolutely. Awesome. And uh, with that, I think that is uh, our time here in Decipher. I'm yeah, your, uh, this was a good one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I liked it. I think it's this, this first high production quality podcast <laughs> came out real yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not bad. Nice and short. So the struggle cast. The uh, struggle cast, man, the struggle is real on Zoom's this, webcam compression. Yo, this this standard like uh, laptop webcam ain't going to cut it no more. <laughs> um, but we we going to make it work. We're going to make it we'll, work. We'll get there. All right. Well, till the next time, is your host, Kaylin Moorhead. Hey, and I'm Cameron Luck. Nice seeing you guys. And we'll catch you on the flip side. Peace. Peace.